Uh, If you have your Bibles, please open them to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. We're continuing our series on worldview. And last week, we started on the acronym TULIP. We looked at the letter T last week, which stands for total depravity. Um, That's how God describes humanity after the fall. Today, we're looking at the letter U, and that stands for unconditional election. And we're going to spend two weeks on that. Um, This doctrine may be the doctrine that people are, that cause people the most amount of uneasiness, the most amount of uncomfortability. It may be. It's definitely up there, and I have the privilege to preach on it. So I want to tell you from the beginning what the doctrine is. I want to tell you about some possible um, objections or questions people might have. And then I want us to look at scripture, and today we're going to begin to dive into this doctrine, uh, and it's totally fine. If you are wrestling with God's truth, it's totally fine. If this is causing you to look and examine who God is and who you are, it's okay. And if there's someone near you that is uncomfortable, love your neighbor as yourself. Help the person. But this is one of those hard doctrines. I want to thank the people who've been praying for me and praying for our church um, as we dive into this. I'm going to give you a simple, kind of funny thing first that Daniel Hahn said about today. Today it's going to be about you, but the letter U. But it's not going to be primarily about you, Y-O-U. We're going to see that's going to be all about God, and that's what's going to scare us, actually. That's not going to be about us so much. So here is the doctrine before we begin. Unconditional election is the doctrine that states that God from eternity past elected, chose some for salvation completely apart from any contribution they made or any condition they met. God chose himself. That's unconditional election. Conditional election which the Bible denies is the doctrine that states that God chose some for salvation because on the basis of some contribution they made or some condition they met. Okay, so we hear this doctrine and we say, this is not a problem. I don't see what the problem is right now. Why is this why this is so uncomfortable for people? Unconditional election, here's what the doctrine says, and here's some implications. God chose some for salvation completely apart from them. They did absolutely nothing in that process. God himself chose. Okay, that's that's good with me. What's the problem? God chose some. Does that mean that God also did not choose others? Yes. God chose some. And the implication is God also 
did not choose other for salvation. That's not, that's not a problem for me. Because, I mean, I'm sure God chose because they believed in him. I'm sure God chose because, you know, he saw in the future that they're going to do more good than bad. I'm sure God chose because there was something in them that evoked him to choose them. No. There was nothing in them. No condition they met. No contribution they made. They were not chosen because of themselves. Then, then how did God choose? He chose by himself, by his will. This is why it's going to be uncomfortable. This is what we're going to see today as we dive into our four verses. So before we read God's word, let's pray and ask for his help. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its truth and its weightiness, its heaviness. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us what is true. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us that we are completely destitute without you. And Father, we recognize that even now, and we ask that you would uphold us by your Holy Spirit to even withstand the glory of your word, that we would love it, that we would praise you for it, because it is so glorious and because it reflects who you are. Thank you so much. Be with all of us that we may just adore you, love you, and fall on our knees and worship. You are not like anyone else. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. I want to remind you that this is the word of God. Hear now God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Unconditional election. God from eternity past chose some for salvation, completely apart from any contribution they made, completely apart from any condition they met. God chose. On what basis did he choose? On himself. Nothing from them on himself. That's the doctrine. So I want to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the proof. I'm going to talk about the presuppositions, something that we come in presupposing. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about the purpose. But I want to talk about their proof real quick. And we're going to have to remember our grammar, our English grammar. So here we go. Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus. And he, this is how he starts his epistle. He begins 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how he starts. In order for us to understand the gospel and unconditional election, we have to understand what he's saying. We have to understand some grammar. If you look at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our. So here's some grammar. It's going to be a lot of words. But that word our is a first person plural pronoun in its possessive form. That's a lot of words. But if this pronoun was in its subjective form, it would be we. If it's in its objective form, it would be us. If it's in its singular subjective form, it would be I. And if it was singular objective form, it would be me. Okay, that's a lot. But here's the important thing. Within our verses today, verse 3 is the only time this first person plural pronoun is in its possessive form, our. Every other time this pronoun is used in our text today, it's in its objective form, us. Us. Wait, um, I look at verse 4 and I see the word, the pronoun we. Isn't that subjective? I think you're wrong. And you would be correct. In English, it's we, but in the original manuscript Greek, it's actually also objective, us. So that translation will be something like, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Us. First person plural pronoun in its objective form. Okay, who cares? Why is that so important? Who cares about the pronoun in its objective form? Because Paul wants the Ephesians to know that they are not the subject of the verbs. Paul wants them to know that they are not the main protagonist in these verses. Well, if not them, then who? God. God. Well, who are they then? The objects. The objects of what? The objects of God's grace. The objects of God's affection. The objects of God's love. What is the function of an object in grammar? The object, one definition, is the thing or a person that is receiving the action, not the one who's doing the action. So they are the objects. Who is the subject then? God. Who's the one performing the verbs? God. Who's the one who did everything? God. What did they do? Receive. Receive. They are the objects of God's amazing grace. So we're going to go through these verses really quick right now. That's why in verse 3, you see, God blessed. Who? The objects. Us in Christ. If you look at verse 4, God chose. Who? The objects. Us in Him. If you look at verse 5, He predestined. Who? The objects. Us. If you look at verse 6, God blessed. Who? The objects. Us in the beloved. Objects. 
objects of God's amazing grace. And this doesn't only apply to the Ephesians. It applies to all those in Christ, us in Christ. You see, God, 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 God. God did everything. The main subject, the main character of these verses. He is the subject. Us, 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 us. Who are we? Who are those in Christ? The objects of God's amazing grace. This is unconditional election. What did they do? Nothing. What did God do? Everything. Unconditional election is the doctrine that states that God chose some for salvation completely apart from any contribution they made or any condition they met. God did. But here's more proof. Maybe, right, maybe God chose some because in the past he foresaw that they would do something, right? Maybe he saw in the future that they would have faith. Isn't that why God chose? No. If you look at verse 3, God gave blessing, every spiritual blessing. What did they have before? No spiritual blessing, no salvation. Okay, yeah, I can agree with that. Verse 3 says that God's the one who gave them blessing, spiritual blessing, including salvation. I agree. But that doesn't mean that God chose them apart from them. And if we look at verse 4, when did God choose? Before the foundation of the world. God chose before they could do anything. God chose before anyone was even born. God chose before the world was even made. God chose when before. Okay, maybe you're right. God chose before, I see that. But couldn't he choose before looking into the future? He's God anyway. He can do all, he's outside of time. And if we look, if we continue verse four, he chose them, chose us that we should be holy and blameless. What's the inference? That we were not holy and blameless. That we were sinners. Now what could sinners do besides sin? So even then, God chose by himself. I hear you, but that's hard. And then we go to verse 5. He predestined. This is going to be, I know I started with grammar, but this is going to be very poor grammar. When did God destine? Pre. When did God destine? Pre. When did God decide? Beforehand. When did God determine? Beforehand. And if that's not good enough, we go to verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. What is grace? Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. If we contributed, if we met a condition, it would not be grace. It would be our earning. We earned it. It would be our wages. We did something to receive it. But grace is completely unmerited, unearned, undeserved. We had nothing to do with it. So that's the proof. Man, this is hard. This is an uncomfortable doctrine, isn't it?
I want to go now to the presuppositions. How could Paul believe this? And, and it seems like he's happy about it. How could Paul believe such a doctrine and write it down? That God chose some apart from them. He just wanted to. And then he didn't choose others. How can he write that down? Well, for Paul, we're going to go through the verses again. Verse 3 said, God blessed. God's the one who blessed. Who? Us in Christ. What did they have before God blessed? No spiritual blessing whatsoever. They were spiritually bankrupt. And then we go to the next verse, in verse 4. He chose them. Why? That they should be holy and blameless. They were not holy and blameless. This is where we're starting. This is the reality. They were sinners against God. And then we go to the next verse. And he predestined us for adoption as sons. We were all orphans, spiritual orphans. So here's an illustration that might help. Imagine an orphan on the street. No home. Has nothing. Bankrupt. Poor, hungry, starving. And then a father who's not poor but rich sees this orphan, decides to adopt him as his own child, welcome him into his own family, feed him, give him his last name. When we see people, when we see stories about adoption, we, I don't think I've ever saw in my life people say, man, that's horrible. Why? Because when people adopt children, orphans, it's something celebratory, something praiseworthy. And we're like, dude, that's awesome. Man, praise God for you. Good stuff. And that's what God did. Okay, yes, I understand father adopted the child, okay? But why didn't the father save everyone? Maybe in your illustration, he's a father. Okay, maybe he was restricted, limited finance, financial resources. That's fine. But we're talking about God here. He has no limitations. He has every resource he needs. He could have done it. Why didn't he do it? And if we work with what Paul is saying, the presuppositions, the illustration that I first gave is not the whole story. What's the presupposition? They were spiritually bankrupt. Yeah, we got that. They were orphans. Yeah, we got that. We missed one. They were unholy and full of blame. Sinners against God. So if we use that in the illustration, it sounds like this. There was a whole world of spiritual orphans. And every one of them raised their fist at the Father. And hated him to their core. If they could spit on him, they would, and they did. They hate him. They did not want his help whatsoever. They, had, they wanted nothing to do with him. Sinners against God. The entire world of orphans. That's the presupposition. 
What does it sound like in our world? They didn't want God. They wanted other gods. They didn't want God. They wanted idols. They didn't care about using the Lord's name in vain. They didn't care about his Sabbath day. They didn't honor the parents that God gave them. They didn't care that they were angry, murderously at their neighbors or even murdering their neighbors. They didn't care that they were gossiping, slandering other orphans. They didn't care that they were committing adultery or even adultery in their hearts, violating people in their hearts and mind. They didn't care that they were lying. They didn't care that they were stealing. They didn't care that they bore false witness against their neighbor. They didn't care that they covet the neighbor's wife or a husband or possessions. They hated the father and everything he stood for. Everything he wanted them to be, they rebelled. That's the presupposition Paul is saying. And then the father decided to choose to save some. So the question isn't, why didn't he save everyone? The question is, why did he choose to save any one of them in the first place? But that's not the whole story. We still didn't finish the illustration. Because remember in verse 3, God blessed. God, verse 4, God chose. Verse 5, God predestined. He did that. In spite of everyone hating him. He did that, okay. But we didn't learn about how he did that. And if you ask Paul, Paul, how did he do that? The answer is found in the another grammar word, presuppositions, or prepositions. Verse 3 said, he blessed us in Christ. Verse 4 said, he chose us in him. Verse 5 says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. If you want the whole story, that illustration is just an illustration. What's real? What's reality? God did this for mankind. At what cost? At what lengths did God do this? And you know this Bible verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. At what cost? He gave his only begotten son. At the cost of the life of his son, he did this. If we work with the presuppositions, man, we are so destitute and evil, and God is so good. Think about how twisted we can be about this. God, why didn't you save everyone at the cost of your son? Just give him up for us. And then you hear the father, who are you compared to my son? I mean, think about it. If you had a child would any of you give up your child's life, your only child's life, for your friend? 
And maybe some of you would be like, maybe. I, I don't know yet. I don't have a child. Or some of you have children like, ah, maybe. Now think about this. Would any of you give up your only child for your enemies? No way. Never once. And then further imagine your enemies demanding, how come you didn't save me at the cost of your son? See how twisted it is? This was out of God's grace. He didn't need to choose anyone. Unconditional election. The doctrine that states that God from eternity past elected, chose some for salvation completely apart from any contribution they made, completely apart from any condition they met. God, why? Why would you do such a thing? And then if we look at verse 5, the second half, He says, according to the purpose of his will. If you want to know the answer to why, he willed it. If we look at another translation, it says, according to the good pleasure of his desire. He wanted to. Why did he save any? He wanted to. This is God. This is the God of scriptures. Unconditional election. He gave up his only begotten son to save sinners because he wanted to. There's several things I want to talk about, um, but one more thing in our second point. Okay, maybe I hear you. Maybe I, I, I can see unconditional election. It's hard for me. I, I'm getting there, sure. But how could Paul be happy about it? How could anyone be happy about this? You're saying that I have nothing that I can do. And you're saying nobody has anything they can do. And you're saying it just depends on God and God alone. That he gets to do whatever. How can I be happy about that? And the answer is, again, because of the presuppositions, what Paul wrote. If, if you were to ask Paul, Paul, how can you be happy about it? He would say something along, this is not in the Bible, but I imagine he would say this, because there are no better hands that sinners can be in than in the hands of this God. There is no one in the entire world who is more loving, more gracious, more generous, more patient than this God. How do you know that, Paul? Look at what he did. Has anyone ever did that to, for you? Something even close to that? Paul, if you could have any part in the choosing of your salvation, any part 
in your election? Would you want it or are you okay that your election depends wholly on God? It's wholly in his hands. What would Paul say? Paul would say something like this, I can imagine. Thank God. Thank God that has nothing to do with me. Because if his choosing was contingent upon me in any way, I am sure that I would fail in every way. But if it just depends on him, thank God. Why, Paul? Because who is like him? No one like him. I'd rather trust in him than myself. I'd rather trust in him than anyone else. Look at what he did. Look at the evidence. I've been thinking about why this doctrine is hard, and uh, when I was younger, it was something very hard for me. And maybe it's hard for you, some of you. Others of you are probably embracing it, like, yes, God is glorious. Praise God. But I've been thinking about why is it hard? And here's one thought that I came with by God's grace, and maybe this is you today. It's hard because you're asking me to have no part, nothing whatsoever with God's choosing. You're asking me to completely surrender and trust God that I can't do any contribution, I can't meet any small criteria or condi condition, that's what you're asking me. And I would say, yeah. It's, it may seem hard. It's, it's hard because we don't trust God. We don't want to. We, we want to trust ourselves. We want to control it ourselves, just even a little bit if we can. But if I were to ask you the same thing as Paul, I hope one day, even today, by God's grace, you would say, man, thank God, thank God that his choosing is not contingent upon me at all because I would fail in every way. Thank God it depends on him and him alone because there is no one like him in the world. If I could put my election into anyone's hands, I would put it into God's hands. What, what does God's hands look like? Well, you can imagine that the Father, that the Son looks exactly like the Father. What does the Son look like? If you just look at his hands, he's the one that was outstretched and nailed for you and me. Now whose hands can be better than that? Can be better than his? No one. Yes, of course, it's hard because we like to think that God is something kind of like us, somewhat evil, somewhat tyrannical and Man, he's going he's gonna to do something to me. But God is not like that at all. 
God is perfect in love. So those are the presuppositions of unconditional election. And if you're, it's a hard doctrine. If you're struggling with this, just um, wrestle with it. Pray with me. Pray with your brothers and sisters. Pray with Pastor John. Let's look at scripture and think about the natural, I mean, the necessary consequences of what God's saying. Now we're going to go to our last point, the purpose of unconditional election. Remember, actually, I'm a, let's go real quick on one point on that, the purpose. If you look at verse 4, he chose us why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. I want to make this real quick. The reason why God chose Christians, one reason is that you would be holy and blameless. That you would be sanctified. That the sin that has been killing you, you would forego and repent. And the life that you had not wanted, you would now want in Jesus Christ. So, practical application. If there is something that you know is against God's will, Repent. Believe. Why? Because who is more trustworthy than God? Your sins have lied to you constantly. But look at what God has done. One purpose that we should be holy and blameless. Is sanctification a priority in your life? That's one of the reasons for unconditional election. One of the reasons for the gospel not just to save you and get out, but to save you and grow you and get to work. Another point on that verse, it says, holy and blameless before him. Uh, this may be a principle of that verse, but another reason why you are saved is so that you can be with your father forever that you can be with God forever. So, practical application, is that a priority in your life? Do you want to be before him because one day you will be? Man, it is good to be with God. All right, and our last purpose. Remember how I talked about how Paul seems happy about this? And then if we think about how he can be happy, it's because he understands that he is completely undeserving of God's amazing grace. So if, if Paul had a conversation, I can imagine that he would say something like this. If God were to not choose me and I would go to hell forever, I have no complaints because it's exactly what I deserve, 100%.
but the fact, the reality that God gave His Son for me. How could I not fall on my knees and worship Him? His glorious grace. See, this doctrine, it humbles you. If we know who we are apart from Him, if we know what, he's, what He did for us, even though He didn't need to. So what's one of the purposes? If you look at verse 6, it says, to the praise of His glorious grace. One very obvious application from that is it should lead you to praise, a praise like no one else deserves but Him alone. Like you would sing your heart out. I'll give you a quick illustration on that. I remember one time in a retreat long time ago in California, I was in the very back, um, and people were praising God. And there was this one student. Man, he could not sing. And he was in the back, and God was working in his heart, and people were praising. And you see him just like, <laughs> like lifting his hands and not singing, but saying the words out loud. And I love that because he did not care. He understood what God has done for him. He was completely unashamed, praising God for his glorious grace. That's one practical application. Here's another one. To be thankful. More and more thankful, humble, more and more gracious, to our neighbors. Here's one that I know some of you may struggle with. Assurance. Assurance. Because if election never depended on you and it only depended on God, God does not change his mind. Do you know how much he paid? His son. Do you think he's going to change his mind? I don't think so. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. He counted the cost. Assurance. And then I'm going to give some last remarks. If this is difficult, it's totally fine. Please talk to me. Talk to Pastor John. And this is why we're also going to spend two weeks on this. Next week, we're going to get the same thing, except from Romans 9 and from Pastor John. And I hope that that time, it will lead us to even more praise. Unconditional election is the doctrine that states that God from eternity past chose some for salvation, completely apart from them, completely apart from any contribution they made or any condition they met. Why? He wanted to. He wanted to. Don't look at yourself so much and shake. Look at God. Look at what he has already done for you and be assured. Rest. Rest. 
Um, if you look at the rest of Ephesians at your own time, a lot more applications, a lot more outworking of this gospel. But here's what I want us to do. After I pray, and by God's grace, we're going to have a closing song. Let's just look at the lyrics and be mindful of what we're saying and just thank God. Just praise God and saying, God, I did not deserve any of this anyway. But you did it. This is not a fiction or an illustration. Real life. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, whose hands were outstretched and nailed to a cross. Father, would you continue to work in our hearts? And we want to say thank you that your election, your choosing, has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with you. And when we look at you, we are full of rest and comfort and thankfulness and praise. Father, we pray that you would continue to work in those you have chosen. Help us to strive for our sanctification, to be holy and blameless, and help us to grow in our gratitude and praise that we would be a people that love to sing to you. Thank you so much. Continue to be with our worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.